Okay, but we did make it. And I am so, so glad to be here. And I'm so glad to look at Romans 8 with you guys because it has blessed me so much over the past months to study it. And um, I uh, heard Johnny Erickson taught a talk one time, if you know her. She's a quadriplegic, been a quadriplegic for like 40 years. And she uh, said every morning she lays in her bed. She has to wait for someone to come and get out of, out of her bed. She lays in her bed and she says, God, I need you desperately. I require you urgently. And I heard her say that and I said, I can get out of bed, but Lord, that's how I feel every night. And that's how I feel coming into this retreat. Lord, we need you desperately and we require you urgently to meet with us this weekend. So it is good to be here. Um, if you've heard me talk before, you know that one of my favorite things um, is to write little poems. And I don't know if they are um, any great work of literature, but I know for me in my journals, they have been just a sweet fellowship with God to have these little poems. And I was encouraged to put some in the folder. So some of the ones that are relevant to Romans 8 and our time this weekend and that I may share are in there. But let me just start with this. This is a true story in my journal, a true story of me trying to have a quiet time. Okay. Before I sit to meet the Lord, I make my bed and sweep the floor. I check my email and make sure I haven't missed a single word or failed to write and call. The Bible studies in its folder, prayer cards in their new prayer holder. My clothes are ironed. The kitchen's clean. I'll now get ready to be seen. Each hair goes in its place. I'm ready now to speak with Christ and ask for him to touch my life to see my sin and comprehend a broken heart I cannot mend. I ask to see my Savior who is faithful, holy, right, and true, and see that my identity is fixed and finished on the tree where Christ went in my place. But as I sit in sterile setting, perplexed on why I am not getting any hope or sense of sin or brokenness I cannot mend, I stop and ask the Lord, who lets the Holy Spirit come to comment on my heart that's numb. And this is what he says. Before you sit to meet the Lord, fall out of bed and on your floor. Don't make your bed or check your plan, but fall upon this gracious man. And leave your laundry in its stack. Don't check to see whom to call back, but put your face upon the floor and beg that you would see the Lord, not in a life that's ordered well or in a plan where most can tell that things don't look a wreck. Then listen as I whisper there, I know about your every hair. I knew them when I thought of you, and I'm still faithful, right, and true. Your life is only ordered well in my agenda, and I'll tell you what you need to know. But now, you let your weary heart learn how to fall upon a dirty floor and comprehend that I'm the Lord. And I pray this morning, this evening, tonight, that we could just fall on the dirty floor in our life and in our heart and where we are with the mess that we left at home in our kitchen, in your kitchen sink tonight. Lord, we just can walk away from that and we can sit and we can say, Lord, show us that you're the Lord and teach us from your word. And that's my prayer for us this weekend. We're going to be in Romans 8. And um, Romans 8, I, I looked it up. John Piper has like 48 sermons on Romans 8, on one chapter of the Bible. So we won't get through it all. We can't begin to get through so much. It's like the Alps. I mean, you just can see what you can see. But um, we're going to take in as much as we can and try to hit the highlights this weekend to just get a gist, just get a gist of what is Paul saying, what is God saying to us. Tonight, and there's some, if you haven't found the spot in your notebook, there is a little sheet you can follow along because we're going to ask two questions tonight. The first question is this. What happens to our joy? What 
happens to our joy? And the second question is, what happens to our power? Do you want to have joy? Do you want to have power? I do. I want to have that. Well, let me tell you, I'll tell you a little bit, just briefly, about my story. I, um, I grew up, I don't go too far, I grew up um, in the church in a godly home. My husband came to faith as an adult, and so he always looks at my life and says, I was a child of the church, and there are so many blessings in growing up, and I pray that for our children, growing up in the context of the body of Christ. There's so many blessings in that, but I went off to college and quickly got ushered into lots of ministry and leadership and things like that, and I began doing lots of things for the Lord, and I found over the course of my time in college that really, in my heart, I was joyless. Outwardly, it probably looked very moral and good, but inwardly, I was laden with guilt I was laden with fears. I was desperately trying to perform and approve and have other people's approval. So inside, there was really a joylessness to my walk with Christ. I moved to Charleston for occupational therapy school at MUSC and um, started going to East Cooper. And thankfully, the Lord used um, people there to begin to really minister to my life. I went on a rotation. So during OT school, you do these little clinical rotation things for a few months. And I got set up with a girl, a godly Christian girl named Jennifer, to do a clinical rotation with. She was my supervisor. And it was in Georgia. And I went to Georgia, and I spent three months. And she began to pray for me and pray with me and became one of the most influential people, really, in my story of faith. I uh, got hold of, somehow got hold of a tape. And I remember I went out during lunch one day, and I put it in the car. And in the tape, there was a man and he was talking through the book of Galatians. And he was telling his own story about joylessness, about performance living, about living under duty and the law. And he began to talk about the gospel and about Jesus and this joy that he'd come to know in Christ. And I was listening to that and so taken by what he was saying that the next day I went out to my car and I listened to it again. And the next day I went out and listened to it again. And like five days in a row, I went out of the car and I just spent my whole lunch break listening to this talk. On the sixth day, I got in the car with Jennifer, my supervisor, and we're riding off in rural Georgia on this home health trip, and I broke down weeping. And I said, Jennifer, I said, I don't know what he's talking about. I do not know what he's talking about. I was really terrified by that. I said, this joy that he's talking about Christ, I don't know that. And she, thankfully, she called the patient and said, we're going to be late. She pulled over into a McDonald's in rural Georgia. We got ice cream cones and talked about the gospel. And it began a relationship for me in which an older woman began to figure me out. She began to understand me and began to dig into these ways that the gospel was so irrelevant in my daily life. And uh, she began to study the Bible with me and for years really prayed with me, invested in me, got to know me. I remember like in Sunday school, I'd raise my hand to say an answer to a question and she began to figure this out that I would answer the question and then I'd just be terrified that my answer was wrong. And um, she just began to walk through applying the finished work of Christ in faith to my life. And it was just tremendous to have the Holy Spirit use a woman, an older woman in my life to help me in that. Well, even now, and there's a quote in your sheet there. This is Rosemarie Miller. She is um, the wife of the late Pastor Jack Miller. Listen to what she says. This is, this is my story. I'm a recovering Pharisee. I love to be in control. I'm addicted to duty, to order, to my rights, 
to my ways, to outward performance. Outwardly moral, full of anxieties and fears and guilt inside. I didn't know God and I didn't even understand myself. For years, I heard the words of the gospel, but I didn't hear the music. That's my prayer this weekend. We've heard the gospel for you. We've heard the words of the gospel for years. But I pray, Lord, please let us hear the music. Let us hear the music of it. I, uh, I think in the morning sometimes I wake up, and tell me if you're like this. I am just spring-loaded, spring-loaded to wake up and to think like self-righteousness, to think of duty, effort, and performance. And I wake up in the morning, and I pray. In my mind, there's like a switch and I pray, Lord, would you flip the switch in my mind and turn it around so that I think like Jesus. I think Jesus' righteousness. I think gospel. I feel like I need God to turn it on, just flip it, so that I don't think in my flesh, but I think in the Spirit to think like Christ. Um, our point number one on your outline there is this. We are spring-loaded to self-righteousness and to put ourselves under a standard and under the law. I want to paint a little bit of a picture for you of how we as women are spring-loaded to this. Now, according to Romans 8, there is a law of sin and death that our flesh is too weak to keep. That's what it says. And there is God's law, his righteous requirements, Paul says in Romans 8, the righteous requirements of the holiness of God that our flesh is way too, too weak to keep. But I want to tell you that there's also, Paul talks about this in Colossians, there's also these man-made standards that we pile on top of that. And I like to think of it sort of as a measuring stick. This helps me. Because we take these measuring sticks and we put them on top of ourselves and we pile them on. Now, in Colossians 2.22, Paul calls them the commandments and doctrines of men. He says, these things have the appearance of wisdom. They actually look wise. Um, in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They don't really work in dealing with sin in our life. And so we set up these measuring stick things. Now, I was uh, talking with a friend one time, and tell me, if you, tell me if you understand this. She said, she said, you know, we were talking about this. She said, you know, sometimes I feel like I battle with pride, and I feel like I'm very proud. She said, and then sometimes I feel like I'm insecure, and I feel guilty. She says, I just want, and I don't know which is it. She's like, do I struggle with pride or do I struggle with insecurity? And I thought about it. I thought, you know what? It's both. We struggle with both. It just depends on what standard you're in. Because if I've got a man-made stick here of some standard, maybe it's how clean my house is or something like that, there's times when I can feel proud about that. And then there's times when I can despair. And we can swing around as women on a stick of self-righteousness between pride and insecurity. Does it make sense? Do you feel that? Have you ever felt that? This swing, this measuring stick swing. And we set up these kind of unspoken standards. We call them like a little stick righteousness. And it can be like a clean house righteousness or a, um, a mommy righteousness. Or if my children are doing well out in public, then I feel pride. And if my children are doing poorly, I feel despair. Or if I hear someone else has their child in three sports and two musical instruments, you know, then, then I feel here. And if I feel like my children did well, you know, and so on and so forth. We can feel it with, and it's just pervasive in the way we think. I mean, you might even, like you go into your room and say your roommate this weekend brought all these retreat snacks for the room to share. And you walk in and you're like, when did she make that? You know, I'm like, I didn't bring anything. You know, 
you're down on the stick, you know, or you maybe you feel pretty good about, you know, what you, so, you know, we can just, ah, we can just take anything as women and make it a standard for ourselves to compare ourselves to other women and to measure ourselves. And, um, and so we'll call that self-righteousness, really. Or, or as Paul would call it, the commandments and doctrines of the wind, that men that have the appearance of wisdom. But it's all about me, and it's all about can I measure up to the law because we put ourselves under a standard of the law. Now, the good news is this. Good news. Our very best effort, like the best cookies I've ever made and brought to someone, are so far from the holiness of God. Our best effort on the stick is utterly, utterly short of holiness. My best ministry, even if I'm feeling pretty good about things, my best ministry is utterly short of holiness. And the good news is this, is that in reality, we're so far off the stick. Tim, I mean, not Tim, well, Tim Keller says this. He says, religious people repent of their sin, but Christians repent of their righteousness. Christians say, my, my best righteousness, my best effort needs to be repented of before the holiness of God. And Jack Miller says this. This has always helped me. He says, cheer up, cheer up. You're worse than you think. Okay? The good news tonight is whatever you, whatever you thought, wherever you thought you were on the stick, you're worse than that. Okay? We're so far from the holiness of God. That's the good news. And the good news of the cross is this. Cheer up. You're more loved. You're more loved than you ever comprehended. God loves you more than you ever imagined. That's what he did in sending his son. Uh, so point number one is this. We're spring-loaded to put ourselves under a standard, under the man-made standards, and then ultimately under the perfect standard of God. But point number two is this. God did, and this is Romans 8, 3. God did what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do in sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's what Jesus did for us. In his own body, in his own body, he took the righteous requirements of the law that we could never attain to. He took it in his own flesh for love of you, and he bore it in himself on the cross. That's the gospel. Cheer up. You're worse than you think, but cheer up. You are more loved than you even imagined, than we've even comprehended. Jesus has come and taken our sins on the cross. In Colossians later, it says, and this has always helped me too, he says that the handwriting of requirements that was against us is nailed to the cross. He's taken it away. It's nailed to the cross. It's finished. There is no stick. There is none. Now, what happens to our joy I often um, think sometimes, in, in Galatians, it says, I think 3.24 maybe, it says that, that the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. So the role of the law now, as a believer, is not to measure you. It's not to grade you and check you off. The role of the law now is to lead you to Jesus. So here's another little poem just from me thinking about that, of this idea of the law being a tutor that leads me to Christ. Tell me if you've ever felt like this. He snaps the ruler on his desk and peers to look and see. 
just if my work should measure up. He loves consistency. He scribbles madly on the sheet that's latched in his clipboard, and I fear that I have missed a mark, which then affects my score. And so it goes each passing day. His glasses on his nose won't stay, and as he follows at my back, I know full well he cuts no slack. But then a man of gentle grace exposed my failing scores. He took my place and called my name a daughter of the Lord. But still I think that tutor comes and lingers at my desk. And oh, I fear he'll sigh and roll his eyes at all the mess. But his job is now a different one. He cannot grade my test. He's not allowed a look of scorn when he glances in my desk. So come on, tutor, sit with me. We'll share a bench to look and see just where your ruler shows my score. Then point that thing at my dear Lord. Christ has taken the law in his flesh for you. That's how much he loves you. And it's good news. I want to hear the music. This is good news. I um, had a friend years ago named Megan, and she um, was working through, and she wasn't yet a Christian, and she was working through understanding what it meant to, to know Christ, what the gospel meant. And there was a small group of us that had been sharing with her and talking with her, and she was coming to a Bible study that we were doing. And I'll never forget this one night when we're sitting in this little apartment on James Island, and uh, she looks at us, and I just felt like I watched the scales fall off of someone's eyes. She looks at us, and she goes, that's like a fairy tale. She says, are you serious? She says, that is like a fairy. She said, is that for real? And we were like, that's, no, it's for real. It's like the for real fairy tale. She said, Jesus just loves me, and that all the sin I've ever done in my whole life, he's just forgiven that he took it on himself for me, and now I'm completely free and loved by Christ. And we were like, that's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. And she literally skipped that day out of the apartment and began to walk with Christ and just felt like the load was lifted. If there's a, Jenny, you know, I think I gave you the clicker. I'm sorry. I never got it. There's a picture um, from Pilgrim's Progress. And this is our, we have this little kid's version of Pilgrim's Progress. And this is Christian in the story with the load of the law on his back. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like that some mornings you wake up and you just feel the checklist of duties to perform. And then click to the next slide. This is him. Oh, the cross got cut off. But this is him when he sees the cross. The burden is released. And in our kids' version, there's actually a picture of Christian leaping in the air. And I always think of my friend skipping out of the apartment going, this is like a fairy tale. Do you hear it like a fairy tale tonight? That Jesus loves you. He loves you. It's true. It's the for real fairy tale. Well, the second question tonight is this, and you can click past that. Yeah, the second question is this. The first is, what happens to our joy? Do we hear the music? What happens? The second question is this. What happens to our power? And I think Paul deals with this in this section of Romans 8. How do we walk in the Spirit? How do we put to death the deeds of the flesh? We're forgiven. There's no measuring stick on you. There's no checklist. It's nailed to the cross. But we don't want to stay in our sin. How do we then move in faith and deal with sin? And that's what Paul's going to begin to talk about. Now, this to me, if, y'all, now, if you're like me, it's Friday night. And when Reed read that scripture in Romans 8, you had to go, whoa, that's a lot. Spirit, flesh, death to sin. There's a lot in there that our brains have to just go, wow, how do I understand this? How do I think about that? Let me give you a little illustration that helps me think about it. Here's some of the things he said. Those who live according to the flesh 
set their mind on the things of the flesh. Here's the flesh up here. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, let, I'm going to need a volunteer for this. So let's see, who could be a volunteer? Uh, Jenny Eliezer, are you up? Can you jump? Oh, I'm sorry, Colin. Okay, Jenny is going to illustrate for us the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I'm going to have you do, I'm... Oh, no. Okay, she's just an illustration is all she is here. Okay, I'm going to tie this around me. You're going to stand there, and you're going to hold this rope, and you're going to turn towards the cross. And you can, it's, got, it's too long, so just grab it kind of closer to me here. Now, I'm going to take the rope, and I'm going to tie this around me because really the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. The Holy Spirit is a person that lives inside of me and is leading me. Now, and that's one of those songs we just sang. I love that. It says he, he guarantees our hope. This, the Spirit is a guarantee. I am sealed in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now leading me. So, Jenny, you can turn around towards faith. And I just want you to see a picture of the Spirit leads us towards faith in the cross. Now, what does that look like? Faith in, there's so much to that. Faith in God, faith in the sovereignty of God, faith in the promises of God, faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for me, faith in the love of God, faith in the fatherhood of God, faith in God, faith in truth. The Spirit leads me into all truth. Okay, you can actually go sit back down now. That's good. No, you're not taking me with me. That's all. So, okay, so the Spirit is leading me towards faith. Now, I'm going to keep the rope here, though, because I can set my mind on the Spirit as the Spirit leads me. Or we can set our minds on the flesh. Now, to set our minds on the flesh is to set our mind on self-effort. I can do it. I can attain it. I can reach it. You know, to set our mind on worldliness, to set our mind on the indulgences of the flesh, to set our mind on the flesh. So there's two different things Paul's talking about, setting our mind on the Spirit or setting our mind on the flesh. Now, if you live... In the Spirit. And the good news for the Christian is that the Spirit is... He says that in Romans 8. You don't have to worry about this. If you're a Christian, the Spirit lives in you. You do set your mind on the... He is leading you. He's the ruling authority here. He's going to win the day. Okay? He's in you and he's going to win the day. But um, now if you don't know Christ... And this just makes me ache for, for non-Christians. Because if you don't know Christ, there's no Spirit. All you have is flesh. That's all you have. All you have is self-effort. All you have is self-righteousness. All you have is a love of the world. Boy, that makes me, that makes me, but if you live in the spirit, now the good news about heaven is this, is that there'll be no flesh. So in heaven, all we have is faith. There's no tension. But in this body, in this age, we live in a body where there's a temptation to set our mind on the flesh. And Paul talks about that even more in Romans 7, right? You know, just that the struggle what I do, what I don't want to do, I do. There's a temptation to set my mind on the flesh. Let me give you an example of what this looks like for me, of how setting my mind on the Spirit helps me. This summer, I was convicted of just a deeper sin in my life, and that particularly was the sin of just manipulation and control. And I was cut to the core as I saw some ways that I was manipulating and attempting to control things in my life. And it was born out of just a fear of, I need to order my life to make sure in 10 years everything goes like this so that it will be safe and secure like I think it should be. 
And what it looked like, though, was in the consequences that I actually hurt some other people. And I was cut to the core over that. And I realized that as I set my mind on the flesh and my need to manipulate, it was destructive. Because sin actually is destructive. Now, to paint a picture of how sin is destructive, let me tell you this. So I got married um, in my 30s to a man who was a widower. And if you know my story, um, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. I'm so thankful for it. And I, but I married a man with a six-year-old son. And so I became this instant mom to a six-year-old little boy, and I knew nothing. I was clueless about six-year-old boys. So here we are engaged, and the time has come for me to register some presents. So I just think, well, I'll just bring him to Belk's. I mean, he'll just come to the China department, you know? That's, that'll be no big deal. So I bring the six-year-old boy to the China department, little, little six-year-old, and we're in the China department at Belk's, and I'm talking with the lady about the stuff, and I turn around, and I had failed to notice that Luke had worn his lightsaber in the China department. And he is proceeding to pull out the lightsaber and unsheath it in the China department at Belk's. And, of course, it just panic ensued for me and the lady at the counter. But I thought to myself, if you need a picture of just destruction of what sin does, of what it looks like to set our mind on the flesh, to ma- control, to manipulate, to self-effort things, what it looks like in your... Just, you just picture that, just a picture of destruction like that. Well, I, um, I, uh, I, I just want to see sin and hate it and have the power to then say, why do I don't need to manipulate the spirits going, Laurie, trust in the fatherhood of God. Trust in the finished work of Christ. Trust he's bringing scripture to mind. Trust in my sovereignty and power to order all things for good in your life. And the Spirit's leading me to faith, and that leads me out of sin. And therefore, I can put to death the deeds of the flesh. I can hate the deeds of the flesh. Why would I want any part of the deeds of the flesh when the Spirit is leading me in faith to Christ? There's power in that. There's power in that. Boy, I need power. There was a season I was struggling to wake up and have quiet times um, and was just struggling. And I got, by God's grace, in this group of women, uh, it was actually four women that were praying, and we began to meet together. And those girls just came into my life in that season, and they helped me. And I thought of how the Spirit uses women to help us. He uses women to help us. Those girls, one of them, I remember, they were in a, in a little thing, and they called it the 5 o'clock club. So here we are in this little prayer meeting, and they're like, come on, Laurie, it's the 5 o'clock club. And I, I seriously, I looked at them, and I said, is there a 6.30 club that I can be in? And they said, there's a 6.30 club, and we're going to call you. And they begin to pray for me and help me, not law, not measuring stick, not comparing myself. They begin to pray for me and help me and talk with me and say, come on, let's know Christ. Come on, wake up in the morning. I'm going to call you. Let's know Jesus. And the Spirit used those women to do that in my life. There's power. There's power in that. I think just to close, I just want to say this. is this that Satan and the world, just hear this. They, Satan and the world try to throw down standards on us as women in our own hearts, checklist of activities, measuring sticks, commandments and doctrines of men. He loves to define Christian activities and to prod me to measure myself and compare myself to other women. And I'm just spring-loaded to fall right in line with that. I don't know if you are, but I'm spring-loaded to fall right in line with that. 
and I need every morning and every day, I need to flip the gospel on in my mind and say, no, no, Jesus has finished it. The measuring stick is gone. Jesus has done it. Jesus loves me. The Holy Spirit lives in me now, and he's leading me towards faith in the cross. It's not a life of aligning myself to a resume. It's submission to a person. So we were in the process of adoption a couple of years ago. I was gripped with some fears. Um, mostly, we were adopting an older boy, and I was terrified. What if this is, our little family's so sweet right now. What if this is a mess? What if we bring this new child into our family, and it's just a wreck? What if he has serious problems? What if this wrecks my life? And God brought in my path a woman that just ministered to me greatly. She had adopted herself. And I'll never forget, we were sitting at a kitchen table one day, and she just began to tell me her story. She has two daughters. One has mental, uh, mental struggles, learning disabilities. The other has significant psychological problems. They're grown now, and her road over the past years has been a hard, messy road. And she said, Laurie, I can look at these other women and they have their cute little grandchildren and their smocked dresses, and I could just envy in my heart. And for years, I just envied why my story looks like a mess. And I just envied that. She said, but not anymore. She said, Christ has laid me low. He has stripped off my idols. Anything that I could set my hope on in the flesh, he stripped it off. And I have nothing but Jesus. He's laid me low. But she said, Laurie, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And she said, you know what? I want his story. I want his story. I am, um, I love that. God just resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a hymn from the 19th century. It says, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. My messed up family, gloriously complete in Christ. My past, you're gloriously complete in Christ. My house, have you seen my house? You're gloriously complete in Christ. I want to hear the music of the gospel this weekend. And I pray that we'll let women, we'll talk this weekend, and we'll let women help us by the Spirit lead us to faith. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you tonight that you have done the work, that when we were yet enemies, you reconciled us to yourself, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we thank you, God. Would you help us this weekend? Would you anoint this weekend? Would you speak into our lives, each woman in here in a unique way? Would you speak, Holy Spirit, to their heart in the ways that they need to know the gospel for them? In Jesus' name, amen.